0: Welcome to the Theology Mom podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista.
1: Happy Monday to all of you. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are watching me. Thank you for joining me for this week's teaching. I am Krista Bontrager. I'm a Christian theologian and public apologist. And this is the channel where I offer teaching about the Bible, as well as theological commentary on social issues. Now for the last several weeks, I have been bringing you a lot of content to help give you a biblical perspective on the events happening in the Middle East. But today we're going to do something a little different. I am very excited. I'm going to be talking to my favorite YouTuber. I know all the young people, they're all watching Mr. Beast or something. But I am over here watching the one and only Mr. Joel Kramer. I'm very excited. Joel is a filmmaker and archaeologist who lives in Jordan. And he is also the man behind the Expedition Bible YouTube channel, which has almost 350,000 subscribers. If you haven't yet followed his channel, Please fix that right now, Um, because he is an invaluable resource, especially if I know so many of my followers, about 80% of my followers are homeschooling moms, stay-at-home parents, people who want to actively disciple their kids. Joel's channel is an invaluable resource for you, so please go follow him and his work at Expedition Bible. I have followed Joel's work for almost 20 years and I have to admit that I'm very excited to have him on my podcast. I've probably interviewed about 500 people in my life, but he is in my top five guests that I have wanted to interview. And um, so I'm very excited that he set aside some time to talk with us today. And I'm not going to give a long commentary this time because I want to devote as much time as I can to Joel and his work, so with that... I would like to welcome Joel Kramer to the Theology Mom podcast. Great to have you here.
0: Good to be here. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, well, maybe uh, for those who um, you're new to, you can tell us a little bit about how you got interested in filmmaking, but then also kind of combining that with archaeology and looking at historical records.
0: Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, I would say that you know I, I i'd say my interest in archaeology started first i i grew up in the middle east i was raised in saudi arabia my father worked for uh the oil company there or a oil company there and so um i grew up camping in the desert looking for artifacts and um one of my uh childhood heroes was uh was a geologist a friend of the family that was a head geologist for the oil company and so we used to go with him camping in the desert. And, um, and so I got very interested in artifacts and archeology. span And then, um, I'm a very visual person. And, um, and so I got into filmmaking and as, uh, I was a photojournalist for several years. And then, um, then I started making films and I started making films about what was dearest to my heart, which is, uh, the Bible as the Word of God, and to um, and to really try to persuade people uh, to understand uh, from an evidence-based standpoint um, what a solid foundation the biblical record rests upon.
1: Now, um, I want to get into you know the archaeology, but I do want to acknowledge the fact that you live in Jordan. Um, which there's a lot happening in that part of the world right now. How are you doing? How is your family doing now that you guys have had some time to process events? Uh, how how are you guys doing there?
0: Um, we're doing we're doing fine. Uh, you know, compared to what some people are going through, we're doing we're doing just fine. Uh, but you know things are pretty tense and, uh, there's a lot of, uh, high emotions and a lot of sensitivity, um, where we are a lot of big demonstrations and, and stuff like that. Um, so we, uh, we spent 10 years living in Israel and now, uh, seven years living here. And so, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's tragic and, um, and we just really, uh, feel for the people and just want to see christ glorified in in this situation as much as possible
1: absolutely i'm curious um what impact do you think the war is going to have on archaeology in the short term and maybe even in the long term
0: yeah well you know i mean the truth is i didn't really understand this for a long long time but um But the politics of the region has a tremendous uh, effect on archaeology and has uh, for a very, very long time. And so um, it's almost driven by um, by politics in many, many ways. And so, I mean, just to give you uh, an example, uh, if you take Jericho, for example, uh, Jericho has been excavated several times. Um, Jericho was excavated... During the Ottoman period, then uh, after World War One, during the British Mandate period, then it was excavated uh, again um, after World War Two, um, when it was the country of Jordan, and then it was—it's been excavated, you know, as part of Israel and the West Bank. So. Um, all that was war shaped and, um, and whether something is being excavated, um, in one period to another, uh, has a huge effect on it. And in fact, um, a dramatic effect. And so I would say that that will continue, but that, that, um, you always have to think about the politics of the day and, um, and what's going on in the conflicts and everything like that. When you're, reading the interpretation of archaeologists from what they're finding in the ground.
1: Do you think it's going to slow down excavations uh, for next year?
0: Yeah. I mean, for me personally, um, excavations have been slowed down first by COVID. Um, Well, they got shut down by COVID, of course. But then um, it was a real slow start trying to get things rolling again. Uh, After that, uh, in a lot of ways, um, countries used it. The COVID shutdown as kind of a reboot um, for the archaeology that was going on in their country and who they were going to allow to dig and and this kind of thing. And so it's been a slow um, process trying to get going again after COVID. And now this comes along and um, shuts shuts everything down again. So we were supposed to uh, excavate at a site um, 12 miles north of Jerusalem, for example, uh, next month, and that's shut down again, and and it has been shut down. The last time we dug at that site was before COVID set in, so, yeah.
1: Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. I appreciate you sharing that. Now, I kind of alluded to this in my opening that um, originally I found your work, I think around 15 to 20 years ago, through a, an old documentary, The Bible Versus the Book of Mormon, which people can find um, on YouTube. And we, we used to actually sell the DVD version of it, the ministry I used to work at. Uh, we sold it for years and years and years and it was part of a course that I wrote and it's a documentary I really enjoyed because it kind of helped me understand the role that archaeology could potentially play in helping to test religious truth claims like often we think of a religious truth claim as just something i should just accept by, with blind faith but your approach in that documentary maybe you can give a thumbnail of kind of what that documentary is about but then how you use archaeology and the role that you think that it can play in helping us test whether a religion is true
0: sure yeah. Um, at the time I should, I should say that, um, at the time of that documentary, I lived in Utah, um, Northern Utah in a town called Brigham city. And, uh, there wasn't much to do in Brigham city, but try to, uh, reach Mormons. <laughs> and so, uh, and so I, I found in trying to reason with Mormons that it was helpful just as you stated, uh, to, to go into, uh, evidence and, um, you know, a lot of times when I talked theology with them, then things tended to go, uh, in circles. And, um, and so I started bringing evidence into it. And so, uh, and that seemed to be, um, for me, at least, uh, more effective in trying to reason with them. And so, uh, then, then in doing, film work, um, that seemed like the right medium. It was right when online video was coming out and, and that kind of thing. And so uh, and so, the Bible versus the Book of Mormon is comparing the archaeology for the Bible and the, I should say, lack thereof for the Book of Mormon, um, kind of on a, a big scale. And uh, so that's really where I started learning myself how how much evidence the Bible has. It, it's kind of, um, you know, sometimes you, you look at a picture, for example, and you don't know how to put that picture into perspective unless you see something else in the picture that you have perspective of, and that helps you understand the whole picture. And for me, the Book of Mormon was like that. When when I explored the Book of Mormon archaeologically uh, and, and saw actually— uh, what a blind faith as you said a baseless faith evidence wise um looks like then that taught me to appreciate um the incredible amount of uh evidence that we have for the bible and um to realize that we're talking about uh i mean i i i refer to the evidence for the bible like the ocean i mean it's it's just it's just it just never ends, and so, um, and so to explore that, you know that that's really the film that that uh, Mormons that um, that I knew that I was trying to uh, reason with, you know, were challenging me. Uh, well, what about the criticisms to your own faith to uh, Christianity? What about those? Um, and so that really was an inspiration for me to um, to move to Israel and to, um, to go to school and learn archaeology and uh, get involved in the field and, and kind of take it to that next level, so to speak.
1: So in that documentary, I loved your approach Is you went through um, things like plants, plants that were described in, in the Bible versus plants described in the Book of Mormon. And then you went out into the archaeological evidence of both and compare and contrast Um, things like coins or war practices and you just kept doing this compare and contrast of you know what is the bible how does it describe things how does the book of mormon describe these same things and how do we see the evidence and it's a very powerful way of Getting people, like you said, outside of the, the theology conversation with our LDS friends and into a more evidence-based approach. I will share with you that I shared that DVD with with an LDS member who was a multi-generational LDS member, and he that was, for him, the first step coming out of the church, and he's now an, a Christian. And wow. so it... Um, it, it is an interesting approach, so that's that's great to hear your side of it, too, that that is part of what inspired you to go on and, and do more work. Um, what I, I'd like to talk along those lines of what do you think that archaeology can really accomplish, you know, using this evidentiary approach? Can it, quote-unquote, prove Christianity? Does it at least get us in the ballpark of its probably true like how do you think about that as an archaeologist
0: yeah i mean um you know the whole concept of proving something can be um overplayed obviously um but it can also and often is underplayed as well to me um proving something just uh just means that uh it's demonstrating uh the truthfulness of something or that something existed um, by evidence. And so by that definition, definitely, um, archaeology demonstrates the truthfulness of the biblical record. And, um, there's, um, there's, there's specific examples of that that are powerful. The most, um, you know, persuasive evidence that's found are, uh, are inscriptions. And so, for example, I got to know, um, a critic of, uh, of the Bible, a skeptic, um, named Israel Finkelstein during my time in, uh, Israel. And, uh, so I, I talked to him about, you know, the discovery of what's called the Tel Dan inscription that mentions, uh, the house of David in the ninth century BC that was found through archeology. span And, um, so that definitely persuaded him as one of the main critics against, uh, david from uh, the approach of that david is a mythological figure to um oh he's he's real it kind of held his feet to the fire no he's real so now his new approach is to make him as insignificant you know as possible the little chieftain uh that kind of thing so uh you see these um discoveries in archaeology that have changed um scholarship uh, secular scholarship and and the way that they Argue and everything like that, but but also to me, it, it's kind of uh, I, I tend to look at things also in the big picture, and and so when you think of archaeology in the big picture, how it has demonstrated the historicity of the of the biblical record, then um, definitely it has, and continues to, and um, so but but it's not something necessarily that. It, we can use it, we can study it because it's there. And, um, because these events happen, these people lived, these cities existed, these nations existed. And so, um, and so you can study them historically and, uh, you can dig the sites and archeologically. And so something that is actually, uh, mythological, you can't do any of those things like the book of Mormon, for example. Uh, you can't, you can't study the geography you can't apply uh linguistics to the language that it says uh, the book of mormon was originally written in because it's not a real language it's not real places you can't dig the city of zarahemla in the book of mormon because it's not a real place and so you can't apply um studies to the book of mormon because it it is um fiction whereas with the bible uh You can do all those things, and those things have been uh, being done for centuries.
1: Yeah, and I think that that raises the question that some people will ask is, can the Bible legitimately be used as a source for doing archaeology? And what you're describing there as well, when I look in the Bible, I see that there's cities and rivers and civilizations. And so when I look in... The, the material record, I should see at least some correlation between the two. Even if I don't believe in the Bible as a religious book, you would say that it's still an ancient source. Is, is that true?
0: Uh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, one thing to keep in mind is that basically over time, um, you know, if you go back in uh, to the early 1800s, for example, and, and come up from there, um, early explorers and early, uh, scholars that came into, uh, the biblical land, they had, uh, they held the Bible in, in, you know, a high degree of respect and used it, um, as a tool in their archeology. Um, they used it to understand the past and, and whatnot. And then over time, um, you know, the, the fields became more and more secular and dominated by secular scholars and so um and so today uh what what people have to keep in mind is that today's interpretations are dominated by a godless worldview and uh and and whatnot but that hasn't always been the case and so um and so what has changed over the years is not what's being found in the ground um, and, and, and even you know, the basic understandings of uh, where sites are in the Bible and, and that they're being dug um, and the, the same kind of evidences are being found. What's changed over the years is the interpretation of, of what the evidence means, and uh, that has changed pretty dramatically as everything has become more and more secular.
1: That's helpful, and it.
0: And and I I, I will yeah, add uh, this too that um that what what is really encouraging is when you when you take what's been found in the ground because even uh, even if the interpretations are off, oftentimes it's very accurately um uh you know communicated what was actually found in the excavations, and when you take from the excavation reports what was actually found in the ground and then compare that to the biblical record, allowing the Bible itself to do the interpretation of what was found, then uh, then it's amazing and very clear correlation between uh, the archeological record and the biblical record.
1: And yet there are a lot of things that the, the Bible might not tell us that then we go out into the physical record and it maybe surprising things happen and that, that are discovered, but also vice versa, that there are things that the Bible describes that we don't find evidence for in the material record. And there's a saying that I hear a lot among biblical archaeologists that says something like, Well, the absence of evidence, in other words, let's say we don't have good evidence for a people group like the Gibeonites or something, there's absence of evidence is not the same thing as evidence of absence. In other words, skeptics would say, well, then that means if there's no evidence, the Gibeonites never existed. And so there's often this appeal that I hear biblical archaeologists make of, well, just because we don't have evidence for everything doesn't mean that there's... it 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 necessarily undermines, you know, that, that the Bible is a historical source. But I, I hear LDS apologists kind of make a similar appeal, that they'll say, well, discoveries will come, and they're constantly appealing to future discoveries. Do you see that as being the same thing or, you know, compare and contrast those two postures for me?
0: Yeah. So um so there's there's it's it, again, it's why it's helpful to to bring the Book of Mormon in and bring something in that you can compare to the Bible. Um, because uh then it puts the whole thing in perspective. But take the um, absence of evidence, usually when when you're talking about the Bible, um, you're not always talking, even when they claim the absence of evidence, uh, you're you're not actually usually talking about absence of evidence, you're usually talking about an interpretation by an archaeologist that is Mm -hmm. claiming that there's absence of evidence. So to give you an example, uh, Jericho again, let's just use Jericho. Um, so uh, Jericho is an agreed upon site. Everybody, all archaeologists um, believe and know that Jericho is Jericho, that this is the city that is being talked about in the biblical record. When you see the excavation reports, even by the skeptics, you know, uh, to of Jericho, the it's the excavation of Jericho. <laughs> um everybody agrees that there is a fallen wall at Jericho that the wall of the city collapsed and the reason that they agree is because when they excavated it they found a collapsed city wall um so then when they start talking about absence of evidence um, at jericho what they're talking specifically about is the absence of a particular type of pottery that was imported from cyprus and um even though the one particular uh, archaeologist named Kathleen Kenyon, argues that this was absent at Jericho, uh, the one who dug before her, uh, John Garsting, and the one who dug, the Germans who dug before him, found what she said was absent. Um, and so it wasn't absent from the site, it was absent from from uh, from her records and, and uh, her interpretation. And so her conclusion was, well, then this happened 150 years earlier and didn't have anything to do with the biblical record and and this kind of thing. So, um, that's, that's an argument over pottery, whether, you know, but, but let's not forget that this is agreed upon that this is Jericho and let's not forget that there's a city wall around this city that collapsed in ancient times. Um, for me, that does it right there. I, it, you know, it's not about whether a piece of pottery is bent like this or bent like this. It's, it's, uh, the whole wall of the city has collapsed and nobody uh, knew, could see that physical evidence, even though the Bible had told us that if you ever get around to digging this mound of dirt called Jericho, then you're gonna find a collapsed city wall, and then they dig and they find a collapsed city wall. So even the absence of evidence, when it's used um, you know, in, in that context, it, it's such minute details. It's, it's basically, you've got Jericho with a collapsed city wall, you better come up with some argument that this isn't uh, correlating with the biblical record. Okay, well, we can't find this Cypriot where uh, this this is absence of evidence. Whereas on the Book of Mormon side, um, you don't, again, you don't have the geography. You don't know where on earth this took place. You, you don't have the peoples that it's talking about. You don't have any of the cities that it's talking about. You don't have any of the material culture that it's talking about. You're talking about absence of evidence evidence on a massive scale because the empire that's discussed in the book of mormon uh, that existed in the americas is described as being larger than the roman empire and lasting longer than the roman empire and yet we have complete absence of evidence of any think of how much the roman empire has left behind evidence-wise and so it's it's quite a uh a different scenario now that doesn't mean that um you know like again back to uh the inscription that was found uh that mentions the house of david so before that inscription was found um well actually there was another one but but before the two inscriptions that mention uh, the house of david were found then of course you have absence of evidence but um you know as far as an inscription but you have you have all kinds of evidence that fits the the biblical record at the time of David, the city of David had been excavated, and and on and on and on. So, uh, so there is a legitimate thing uh, to say about the Bible that if something hasn't been found yet, well, give it time. Uh, it it just might be because um, archaeologists argue about how many, how much of the the sites that could be dug have been dug, and they argue basically between less than one percent of them have been dug up to about three percent. And so a very small percentage of the biblical places that could be excavated have been excavated. And yet, even with a small sample of what has been excavated, um, the evidence that has been found that correlates and and substantiates the biblical record is amazing.
1: It really is. And I'm glad you mentioned that percentage because I don't think people understand that the average layperson that it's really a very tiny fraction of the sites that have been excavated, and then when you add into that how many have been reviewed and and had peer review articles published about them, and then getting it out into the public discourse, it is a it is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. That, that we're looking at. And even with all of those fractions of a fractions, the evidence is compelling when you really take the time to look at it.
0: Absolutely. People ask me, you know, in doing uh, the videos on on archaeological sites and the evidence, you know, well, are you going to run out? Are you going to run out of topics? Are you going to... And I, I th- no way, <laughs> there is no way I will ever run out of topics. It's it's just endless.
1: Yeah. <laughs> now, now, one of the things I notice about your channel, and I'm going to have Bob put it up on the screen here um, so that people make sure to go subscribe to Joel's channel, Expedition Bible, is one of the things I really appreciate about your channel is that you often cover archaeological discoveries and locations that other archaeologists don't really seem to discuss. And, like, when you did the the thing on David's tomb, I think it was, and you said, very few people actually go there on their Israel tours. And you often say this in your videos of, this is a place that people knew about a hundred years ago, but very few people go here today on their tour of Israel. And it's so interesting to me that you cover some of these topics that are a little bit off the beaten path. I think my all-time favorite video is the one on sulfur balls uh, on Sodom and Gomorrah. I know that one's got like a million views or something, but um, I love that video. But I'm just wondering why you take that approach and what what motivates you in selecting your topics?
0: Yeah. Um, well, I mean... Basically, it's because I'm, I'm not trying to come up with anything new. I'm not trying to come up with new theories or new ideas or build a reputation on, uh, on coming up with new ideas. If, if, if nobody's thought about it until now, and then I come up with a brand new idea that nobody's thought about, then it's probably wrong. And so what I find is that if you go back uh, in time, uh, back to the early scholarship when they did uh, believe in the Bible and use it um, as a tool then they understood things better back then and we've and, and the field has gone off you know into left field uh, you know over time as it's become more and more secular and so uh, what they understood back in the late 1800s, early 1900s in my opinion is more they understood things better they were they were closer to really understanding everything than we are today meaning archaeologists because biblical archaeology is is a secular field um and and then before that even before scholarship even began before um explorers came into the land of the bible during the christian portion of the uh of the roman empire the byzantine period then christians understood uh back then th- these were these were locals that had lived generationally uh in this land. They knew where places were. We we see that uh for example at Jacob's well, um, in the discussion between the Samaritan woman and Jesus, where uh she knows she knows that this well uh, was given to her by their forefather Jacob, and she says that in and and so that represents the local knowledge of a place, even though we're talking 18, some 18 centuries before when uh, Jacob and his sons would have dug that well. And so you had that local knowledge that then um, when Constantine came to power, uh, then the locals were allowed to commemorate these places. And so they understood things way back then, I think, better than we do now. And so a lot of uh a lot of these places that were understood then have been lost over time some some of it has to do with uh with wars and politics some of it has to do with secular scholarship and these new interpretations that have been brought in and some of it has to do with um sensationalistic claims you know and so taking people off where, uh, you know, where the established site is to some brand new idea. And so, um, and so what I like to do is go back and try to understand what they understood, understand what the archeologist that was digging these sites in 1890 something or 1907, you know, what, how they understood the site that they were digging. And, um, and, and back then, read an excavation report well if if you ever have trouble sleeping i highly recommend reading excavation reports but uh but the older ones definitely um reason really well and um really use evidence um and and really uh are very persuasive in whatever they're saying um newer excavation reports aren't always like that they're uh there's often a, a, a strong agenda driving, driving things. And so, um, and then, you know, I got to go, I got to go to these places. I got to see them for myself. It's just the way that I learn. I think everybody learns that way to an extent, but, um, because I grew up, I think in the Middle East, um, and, and different things then, um, then and, and exploring the desert and everything like that, then if at all possible, then I, I want to go and and explore the site for myself and take the excavation report and the top plan and match it up with the ground. You know, being on the ground and uh, where everything is and and uh, and the interpretations you find the interpretations of the earlier work. They use the Bible to interpret, um, whereas now the Bible is either actually being discredited, or um, or flatly ignored and you're you're just not going to get anywhere (laughs) you're not going to get anywhere if you don't use the bible as a tool so if if, i'm sorry i don't know how else to put it but um but as as the field of biblical archaeology became more and more secular became more and more godless then it also at the same time got dumber and dumber and uh and so You know, that's so I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible, and I believe the Bible is the advantage that we have been given by the one who has sat as an eyewitness over all of human history. And uh, not only do we have God's eyewitness account, but we have people writing that account down from these different periods. And if you want to understand where things are and what they mean, then you you got to use the Bible. The Bible is the most important tool in biblical archaeology, and I also believe in inerrancy of Scripture, and that is very co- uncommon in the field that that I am in. But um, but I believe it, and I I find over and over again that things are are more obvious then mysterious and the reason why is because god's not trying to trick us so a lot of times the confusion that we have in biblical archaeology is because of of all these interpretations that are that are wrong and confusing but um if you just take what's found in the ground and you take what the biblical record says and use that to interpret it it's it's pretty amazing and that's what they used to do in the old days
1: That's so interesting. I really appreciate that. And those are a couple of points. Why I appreciate your channel so much is that it's clear to me in your videos, you, you actually really believe the Bible and that, that comes through in your work. And as for me, you know, I've worked as a professional theologian uh, for about 30 years and um, I believe in inerrancy. I believe in the word of God and, um, you know, my faith is solid. I, I've, worked in the realm of apologetics, as well. And yet, you know, I always had these little questions, not really doubts, but just questions about certain things in the Old Testament. And one of the things that troubled me, for example, was the Exodus event. You know, there's a big controversy, which we won't go into, about the late date versus the early date and all of that. But you had a video, um, recently on your channel related to the Exodus event, and That was the most helpful thing I had ever watched, and it really helped to clarify several of my questions and brought historical insight into things. And I'm just wondering, as you have worked in this field for so long, and and even growing up in the Middle East and knowing the Bible, are there things that sometimes you wish that there was more archaeological evidence for. Like, I had always wished there was more archaeological evidence about the exodus. And then, lo and behold, I found, like, oh, wow, there there is. Um, but I'm just wondering if that's ever been true for you, like something that you've wished. I wish there was more about this.
0: Yeah. I mean, of course, the more archaeological evidence, the more evidence, period, the better, um... But, but one thing is, is that, uh, we, we tend to sometimes think that there's actually less, um, evidence than there actually is, or that it doesn't, um, connect like it actually does. Mm. And this has been something that I've learned, um, over, uh, the last 17 years living here is that, um, what what happens? Like you brought up chronology, for example, the Bible gives a, a very clear chronology. It gives us actual numbers mm-hmm. that we can do the chronology by. Um, so, if you if you use that chronology, then that's a great advantage. But if uh, but if if somebody comes along and it convinces you that that's not the chronology, that it's off by two hundred years or three hundred years or whatever, then the problem is is if. If the if the evidence lines up with the biblical chronology, which it does, then if you move that chronology, then it looks like uh, absence of evidence, right? <laughs> then where did all the evidence go? Where did all the uh, where did all the correlation go? Um, it, and and so that's often what happens. And so, um, but when you understand the biblical chronology, then all this uh, evidence that that they understood in the past um, has been lost because of the change of chronology oftentimes. And so then the wall at Jericho, for example, that's collapsed around the city, well, that doesn't look like evidence anymore because we don't have this Cypriot where, and therefore is 150 years earlier. And then people start stop thinking about how amazing it is that the tell of Jericho got dug, and a collapsed city wall was found. And, and see what I mean. And so, um, and so, what I find is is when you're following that biblical chronology, and you're looking in the places that the Bible says these places are, and you're looking at what's found there, then um, then there's a lot more evidence than we realized. And one thing that I've I've learned is that. I've had to deal with secularism in my own self. Um, and what I mean by that is that when you're, when you're hearing, um, the, the arguments and, and, you know, over and over and over again, then you don't realize that you, that it shapes the way you think about things. Uh, and so, uh, so when I went to school for 10 years studying under secular scholars and you're always hearing there's, there's not very much evidence. There's not very much evidence. And you can start to be influenced by that and start thinking, well, there must not be very much evidence because everybody's saying that there's not very much evidence, but, um, in actuality, that that's not true at all. Um, and when you start going and looking at the evidence and you find that there's all this obvious evidence that connects to the Bible, that people don't talk about and that, um, that you don't, um, find very much in, 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 uh, especially modern written places because, because they've, they've gone like this and they're looking in the wrong time period or they're looking in the wrong places. And, uh, and so there's actually a lot more evidence than most people realize. And, uh, and the, the Exodus is a good example of that. We have to put things in perspective. But, for example, we have Manetho, who is a Egyptian um, historian that has access to the older records. He's using those older records of the Egyptian records to write his story. And he talks about the Pharaoh. He talks about the Exodus event. Well, you don't hear that. I went to school in Jerusalem for 10 years. Nobody ever told me about
1: I, I feel so much better now because I took two graduate seminars in archaeology and I never heard about this and yeah. until I watched your video. I was like, wait a minute, this is so helpful. Yeah.
0: Yeah, or one one day I'm reading a book um and it talks about uh um the fifteenth century BC inscription that was found in uh in, in a place called Solib that mentions the name yahweh really i never why didn't they teach me that in school when i'm studying archaeology then i go to my professor and i say you know who's been doing archaeology in israel for 40 plus years what is this you know about this yeah i know about that well why didn't you teach us about that you know so then i have to go to sudan to figure out what this is and where it is and and all this kind of thing and it's just one thing like that after another after another because the problem is is, um, if you believe that the biblical record is mythology, you don't care about the evidence. You don't see the evidence. If you, if you think that it happened at a different time, then, uh, then you don't see it. And so, and so there's a lot of things like that. There's a lot of evidence that has been lost because of these wrong interpretations and these wrong chronologies that are very plain, that used to be understood that you can read in the old books and they, it's a no-brainer for them. They they understand these things, and they're moving forward. Whereas now those things just aren't aren't discussed. A lot of things that are the strongest evidence are kind of swept under the carpet and aren't discussed. And um, and so really, you know, you have to you have to learn those things yourself. And I find those over and over and over and over again. And and again, I'm not talking about my ideas or coming up with a theory or something like that. I'm talking about things that were found in the past, that were understood in the past, but then because of changed chronologies and reinterpretations and everything like that, nobody sees the connect the connection anymore, and so they're not taught. And all you're taught in your classes is there is no evidence for the exodus. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah.
1: So, do you have any advice along those lines Uh, for lay people, for regular people who might be watching the channel, they hear a sensational story in the news about archaeology related to the Bible. Are there a couple of ways to help us differentiate between sound archaeology and what I call crackpot archaeology? Um, you know, that 14 different people have all discovered You know this one thing, and it doesn't seem well attested, and all of that. Like, how can we tell the difference?
0: Yeah that that's a that's a good question because there's there's a lot of crackpot archaeology going on these days. Um, I would say two two things. Number one, uh, you got to use the Bible. You got to be Bereans uh, about. uh, You know, you got to practice Berean archaeology. When an archaeologist tells you something, you got to test that. You know, something about claiming something that's been discovered about the Bible, then, you know, you got to go to the Bible and see if that lines up with, uh, scripture, because a lot of the crackpot archaeology doesn't line up with scripture at all. Um, then the other thing is just logic, you know, um, you know, if they're claiming that, you know, there's, there's gold chariot wheels in the bottom of the red sea well if there were gold chariot wheels found in the red sea they they would be in archaeology museums um if there's gold chariot wheels that that's about the worst metal that you could possibly make a chariot wheel out of (laughs) would be gold because it's so heavy and soft and you know just things like this and all kinds of claims constantly going on about this that and the other thing and um And sometimes they're done, you know, because, uh, because of the, from the Christian perspective of trying to save the Bible when Mm -hmm. the Bible doesn't need it, it doesn't need saving. Um, like I said, uh, the archeological record is there. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's huge. uh,
1: How much weight should we put on peer review? Like waiting for peer review when we hear things in the news?
0: Yeah, um, peer review, uh. Is very very important. Other than that, you know, if it's from a secular standpoint, then the the peer review is also usually secular. But um, but yeah, I'm waiting for peer review, even within the Christian realm. If there's no peer review at, at all, then that's that's a red flag. And um, and again, I mean, it's just it it is probably. One of the most discouraging things in biblical archaeology is all the crackpot archaeology or what I call sensationalism that is claiming all these huge claims, which aren't true. And then it makes the real stuff, it diminishes it. It doesn't look nearly as exciting because, you know, it's not the blood of Jesus dripping on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant with uh, no white chromosome. <laughs> you know a piece of pottery yeah. doesn't really isn't all that exciting in comparison <laughs> well, so
1: i'm wondering i know we're going to have a lot of parents watching this podcast listening to it what um and and i know that many parents play my podcast with their kids and they listen to it and discuss it together maybe there's somebody listening to this right now that has that thinks that this is interesting and, you know, might want to think about archaeology as a potential discipline of study or career. Um, has all the best stuff already been discovered? It do, Does archaeology need more Christians? What word of encouragement might you give?
0: Uh, yeah, all, all these fields, you know, geology, geography, archaeology, um, linguistics need history, um, need Christians, uh, definitely involved, but it's, you know, I, I get that question a lot. And, and, uh, and so to go into these fields, um, the only way I know really how to explain it is to go into them, uh, with the missionary mentality, Mm -hmm. meaning, uh, a missionary goes wherever they're going, not expecting everything to be wonderful and, uh, and encouraging and, and, um, you know, they, they go with the mentality, I'm going into a dark, dark place to be a light. And that's how you have to, uh, view scholarship these days. Uh, it's a mission field and, um, you have to go in, uh, with a strong faith in God, uh, uh, an understanding of to know how to divide uh the bible and to um understand it and and to go in and be a witness in these dark fields because like i said they are they are secular fields and they're they're difficult places um they're difficult places to to have a career and this kind of thing but um if you go in with that kind of mentality i think that uh that's what's needed um it's Impact is needed in those areas.
1: Very good. Can you give us any sort of sneak peek of what projects you're working on right now for your channel, or anything that's coming?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm working on um, a video that has to do with Nineveh. Um, I've been to Nineveh three times, and so I'm. I'm putting a video together with that. Um, I. I'm hoping that s- some of my Trips that I have planned here in the not too distant future um, don't get canceled, but I'm also I'm going to be exploring the um, a, a river, a dry river in uh, Saudi Arabia that is the leading candidate for the Pishon River, one of the four rivers mentioned in Genesis that um, that came together to where the Garden of Eden was, um, and yeah and several others uh wonderful tire in lebanon and 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 whatnot so for me it's it's a good opportunity um i'm i'm constantly learning myself and uh i I tell you the truth one you know it's so it's it's just like the bible you 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 can't ever master the bible you'll study it your whole life and the land of the bible is like that and so um seems like everything that I uncover and get uh, one question answered, it just it just reveals to me that there's a hundred more questions that I don't know the answers to. So wonderful. But that's part of the journey. That's that's
1: right. Tell us about your book and um, just I want to give a strong plug for it for your book. So.
0: Yeah, my book, uh, Where God Came Down, The Archaeological Evidence, um, it's uh, it's. Again you'll see uh, like I said before, I'm a very visual person and so my book is is very visual and uh, it's got a lot of pictures, a lot of aerial pictures and graphics and and um, whatnot in it uh, where I go through and explain um, archaeologically uh, 10 sites and um, and 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 show you know because the Old Testament uh, events, are foreshadowing the, um, the gospel, uh, then, then these sites also, um, speak volumes into the gospel itself and the work of Christ. And so, uh, that was the aim of, of the book is to, is to understand the archeology, span but understand the profoundness that it serves as a basis to.
1: Very good. And, uh, People can check out your work again at Expedition Bible. Thank you, Joel, for hanging out with us today. This has been really just such a treat uh, to hear from you and understand and learn more about your thought processes behind your work. Uh, I just I really, really appreciate it.
0: Oh, well, thanks for having me. And uh, I've enjoyed it.
1: Thank you very much. God bless. And um Thank you so much to each and every one of you for tuning in today. This has just been such a treat for me, but I really hope that what you'll take away from this is Joel's strong point that the Bible is an accurate historical record. And this is this is critical for Christians to understand and for us to teach our children. Our faith is not one that we just sort of take this blind leap into. It is one that is rooted and grounded in history. And when we go out into the historical record, we find evidence of the Bible's places and descriptions and people. And this provides a a powerful way for us to test our faith to see if it's true but that we are putting our faith, hope and confidence in Jesus. It says in first Corinthians 15, that if he has not raised from the dead, we are to be pitied that we are fools and we are still in our sins. Our faith has spiritual consequences, but it is rooted and grounded in real historical people and events. The Christian faith has a tight connection between history and theology. And we want to understand that as we're passing it along to our children. I really hope you'll go check out Joel's work at Expedition Bible, share his videos. We often watch his videos during our Bible times together as a family. If we're going through, um, for example, recently we read through the book of Numbers and Joel has a wonderful video on the prophet, and of uh, Barak and um, B- Balaam and the whole donkey situation and the-, the prophet of Peor. And it is just was a great fit for our discussion when we're talking about the Bible. We're going through Numbers. He gives, Joel's there, and he gives a great explanation for the historical warrant for this very enigmatic prophet that all of a sudden pops up in the book of Numbers there's just great stuff on his channel that you're going to want to share with others in your women's groups, your small groups and with your kids. I hope you enjoyed watching today. Make sure to share this broadcast with a friend, particularly share it. I'd love for you to share it with your youth pastor that those who are in leadership over your students to help them be resourced in the biblical evidences for the faith. And with that, I wish you a good week. God bless.
0: Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All the Things show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.